Hello everyone, my name is Tom and welcome to The Financial Pundit, a show where we explore financial questions that affect our daily lives. And today I'm going to talk about IRS audits, and in particular, the seven red flags that the IRS looks for when they choose um, which tax returns to audit. All this coming right up. So IRS audits are actually kind of scary things, because even though the IRS has been auditing fewer returns over the years, um, recently they've been still auditing about a million returns per year. And the thing is, if you ever do get a knock by the IRS at your door, um, it turns out you can expect to pay on average a $26,000 fine for it. And that's a lot of money, right? The IRS also has another kind of audit, which they call a correspondence audit, where they're only doing things by mail or phone. And those tend to be smaller audits, but still, people are generally fined on average $6,300. And some people ask, well, why are these fines so massive, right? Because the, for the average person, like $26,000 is a huge amount of money. And that's because the IRS actually levies both penalties and interest on, um, on missed payments. So for example, like if we were to forget to file, like say three years ago when we owed the IRS some taxes, that amount that we owe would have penalties put on top and all of that would grow with an interest rate um, for three years. Basically every single month it's growing larger. And so that's how you end up with these gargantuan um, penalties over time. And so the reason I want to talk about the seven red flags that the IRS looks for isn't so we can evade these kind of fines, it's so that we know uh, how do we actually stay within those navigational beacons that the IRS sets up because it's actually, a, well, kind of difficult to follow all the rules, right? So without further ado, here's is number one. The first red flag is failure to file. And I actually find this um, most, uh, of the seven, the most common. Um, and that's, it's really particularly pernicious because the failure to file incurs a 5% penalty per month. We're not talking about per year here, we're talking about every month. Uh, your, um, your penalty, the interest rate on it goes up 5%. And that's incredibly high, right? And the thing is, everyone kind of knows that they need to file their individual tax returns. That's form what they call 1040. But there are a lot of other forms that you might have to file that you just have no idea that you need to. So for example, for foreign accounts, you've got FinCEN and FBAR. For stocks, Form 8949, and the list keeps on going, right? Inheritance, retirement, HSAs, and by the end of it, we're just so tired of, of all these things. But it's so difficult to actually know which form to file, right? Because even if you're using TurboTax, unless you're being asked the right questions, TurboTax wouldn't know, say, for example, that like you are, you had an inheritance from abroad. They'd actually have to go out of their way and ask you, did you have that? And then they would obviously know that you need to file that form. There are just hundreds of different things that you would, might need to file for, and unless you actually understand it. So with these one-time things that happen in life, um, it can be really difficult to know. So um, that said, the number two thing that people tend to get audited for is, well, this alphabet soup of, um, of tax credits that you can claim. Now, this alphabet soup that I'm talking about um, includes the EITC, 
the CTC and all of its variants, and HOH, which is head of household. Now, all of these seem to have nothing in common, but there is one thing actually, well, two. First is that all of these involve um, claiming somebody else as a dependent so that you get some kind of tax credit. And the second thing is that all of them actually require the same form, what they call form 8867 that these tax preparers actually need to file these days to um, claim it. And the reason is because in the past, the IRS found there was so much trouble with say like two parents claiming, um, like two separated parents, excuse me, claiming the same kid on two different returns that they ended up putting this um, particular form in to make sure that um, kids weren't being claimed twice. So in any case, this these these um, taxes unfortunately um, target, or excuse me, these audits tend to target people who are lower income. That's just the nature of the way that these claims work. Um, now, the on the other end of it, you have the number three reason anyway, is people who earn $200,000 or more. So these are people on the other end of the scale of income who also get audited often. So in fact, it turns out that high earners, people who earn more than $200,000 are 10 times more likely to get audited than a regular like W-2 worker. Um, this also extends to self-employed people who are seven times more likely to get audited and they don't even need to be that high income either. So you could be making like $70,000 um, self-employed and you still have that seven times more, you're still seven times more likely to get audited. Um, large estates, almost a third of them get audited. And so there are a couple reasons why the IRS does this, right? First, they go after the big fish because there's more money to be had there if <laughs> if you manage to find something, right? And the other thing though is that as your income grows, uh, the complexities increase and there's a greater chance of you just making an honest mistake. Um, the IRS understands this, but they also kind of go after it because there are more mistakes to be made, right? So that's kind of an unfair thing of the, of the taxation system. Um, in any case though, we'll go on to number four which is um, claiming rental losses. This is a big, big IRS red flag. And that's basically what happens when operating expenses exceed your annual rent. So in other words, you have a rental property, but you're not making enough to cover its expenses. Now the IRS itself actually has uh, what, they ha what they call that $25,000 rental loss allowance. But even taking that rental loss allowance, they're gonna look at things with a magnifying glass, basically making sure, well, you're not turning your house upside down or doing something ridiculous, right? Um, and a big reason is because a lot of times people who own these rental properties could, they might be claiming, let's say, a lower rent and then just taking rental money under the table so they don't need to claim it. And then they would claim a rental loss. So these these are the things that would you know raise eyebrows. Um, so something that's kind of similar, kind of similar to renting up to buying an investment in real estate is about deducting hobby losses, basically this kind of like side hustle income. Um, and the reason why this number five um, red flag is comes about is because it's sometimes really difficult to tell the difference between a business versus hobby. So in fact, the IRS has nine different factors that they look for when they're trying to tell the difference of is this business income or is this hobby income? 
And the reason why it is so important to know that difference is because um, the way that deductions work for hobbies versus businesses are very, very different. With hobbies, you cannot deduct all the way um, losses all the way or carry them forward, but with businesses, you can. And so somebody who, you know, if you own a bakery, let's say, that's clearly a business. And if you deduct losses, that's clearly okay. But what if you're like a baker that just bakes at home and goes sells um, at, let's say, state fairs or farmers markets, right? If you're considered, if you're considering that as, let's say, a business and you're deducting all these losses and the IRS comes in and says, no, no, this is actually a hobby or, you know, vice versa, then there's the issue um, of can you deduct all of those expenses? Um, and this can be very, and this can, you know, drag on. It could really get people in trouble when they're not doing, when they don't even think that they're doing the wrong thing. So be careful if you are claiming rental, uh, excuse me, hobby losses. So next then, the sixth red flag that the IRS looks for is a mismatch between forms. And what do I mean by that? So when, for example, this information matching program that the IRS uses would take um, forms that let's say an employer would issue, form W-2, and the employee, how much they're claiming they made in salary. And if these two numbers aren't exactly the same, then they know there's something up. There's some kind of misreporting between those two. Um, oftentimes, these are math mistakes, right? Where we just add numbers up incorrectly. But again, those are things that raise the red flags. Um, and if we did file taxes incorrectly, it's still on us that we still have to pay those penalties. Now, um, often you might think it's kind of straightforward with these um, with these forms that are sent. But anyone who has self-employed income, like these Form uh, 1099s, would understand not every contractor boss would issue these forms correctly. And so you end up with a lot of finger pointing and figuring, well, who's the wrong party here, right? Because I, if, if you claimed income, but the employer didn't send a 10, 1099, then there's that information mismatch that's going to get somebody audited. So that was the number six. The number seven red flag for audits is large charitable deductions. And this one actually catches a lot of people by surprise, but it's one that um, can actually um, allow people to evade a lot of taxes. So first of all, the IRS is looking for any kind of multi, like uh, large deductions that are so big that they take many years to deduct. And the reason they're looking at that is because you can actually use charitable deductions as tax um, evasion tools. So these are like controlled charities or fraudulent charities. Like for example, if I'm really wealthy and I set up a trust fund, a charity, excuse me, for my kid, and then I just donate money to that charity that benefits my kid and call it a charitable deduction. Um, that's actually not legal to do. So, um, so those are the seven red flags. And the question a lot of people have is, well, if I do get audited, what should I do, right? Because we've got that, again, $26,000 fine dangling over our heads and we don't want that. So the first thing that I tell people is obviously don't panic, right? It's not the end of the world. It could be a big fine. It might be nothing. We don't know for sure. Um, 
So the first thing is don't panic, just get the information, figure out what's going on. So you have to go through and read the documents that the IRS sends to you. Generally, their forms are pretty straightforward. They'll say, hey, we think you have issues here, here, and here, and this is what you owe. And then you really have that choice, right? Do you accept it or do you contest it? Um, and if you do decide, no matter which way you decide to go, um, you can always hire help. So here you've got CPAs, you've got enrolled agents and attorneys. Now, enrolled agents, I'm gonna just uh, talk about for just a second, are people who are actually licensed by the IRS to represent taxpayers in front of the IRS. And this can be a really good thing for those who aren't sure whether they owe that tax or not, to just have somebody to come in and take a look at you know whether the whether things are reasonable or not because the other thing too that enrolled agents and you can do too actually is to negotiate with the irs you can do things what they call offer in compromise like if you do owe that tax but you don't have the means to pay it there's always ways that you can reduce the amount that you end up owing the irs so all of these things are kind of complicated but again that's just kind of the tax system that we have so in any case, I hope you enjoyed this video, and if you did, don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.